Welcome to this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. We are wading deep into our series of a day in the life of a school-based SLP. And this next guest works in a district with over 1 million students, which to me absolutely blows my mind. You're going to be listening to Amy and Kate tonight. Kate is the host who is a school-based SLP. She and I are good friends and she's hosting for me because I'm not a school-based SLP. She does a much better job than I do asking these questions and exploring these things for those of you who are interested in listening to a conversation between two school-based SLPs. So our other guests are, you know, Katie's a guest, our host, and Amy is also our guest. Amy graduated from Plattsburgh State University with a master's in communication disorders and sciences in 2001. Early in her career, she enjoyed exploring a few different settings, including working in a public school in Vermont with one day a week in a one-room schoolhouse, working full-time in early intervention, and working in a large public middle school. In 2004, she got a job at a private school working with autistic children ages 18 months to sixth grade. It is here that she fell in love with early language skills and AAC. Finally, in 2007, Amy began working in the Bronx in New York City public schools, working with students with autism, intellectual disabilities, and and or physical disabilities. For the last several years, she has had a part-time caseload with the other days dedicated to coaching and mentoring other SLPs. Currently, Amy is on sabbatical and is spending her time writing a literacy curriculum for non-speaking students, minimally verbal students, AAC users, and students with intellectual and or physical disabilities. So I, I've already listened to this episode. I'm doing this intro. This is a little peak. Normally I do the intro before and then we record the episode, but just wanted to get the feel for Amy. This is a goosebump episode, you guys. Sit back, take a listen, and welcome to the conversation. Welcome back to another fabulous conversation where we're learning about a day in the life of school-based SLPs. I am your host, Katie Weidstrom-Landgraf, and we have Amy Basso here with us. Hello, Amy. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for being here, Amy. I have to tell you, this is so delightful, and I am learning so many things from our colleagues, and I just want to tell you we appreciate you so much taking the time and sharing your insights, and let's jump right in. Are you ready, Amy? I'm ready. Okay. So let's learn a bit about you and your journey. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a school-based SLP. Well, this is my 21st year um, as an SLP, and I think about 20 of those years have been in the schools. In the beginning, after grad school, I did jump around a little bit with jobs. I did a school in Vermont. I did a couple of schools in Massachusetts. I did full-time early intervention for a year. And then I did a private school for children with autism. And finally, the last 15 years, I've been at my public school job in New York City. So it sounds like you got a really great sampling under that umbrella of education. And so you said you spent the last 15 years at your school in New York City. My mind is imagining a really big school. Could you talk to us a little bit more about your specific setting, your school, the grades or the student populations you work with? So while New York City is a giant um, school district with over a million students, 
we, I work specifically for District 75, which is specifically for children with special education needs. And my school is actually very small. So we have the students that I work with have severe and multiple disabilities. And there are 12 students in a classroom. And in my school, we have just five classrooms. Wow. Okay. But because of the uh, many needs of the students, like there's three full-time SLPs, we have three full-time nurses you know, PTs, OTs, the whole gamut. That's really interesting. It makes me feel curious about some spillover or um, overlap between the medical side of what we do and the educational side of what we do. Could you speak a bit more about that? Yeah, I think that my job uh, as a school-based SLP is a bit unique. Most school-based SLPs, I feel like, are generalists, and I'm definitely more of a specialist in the fact that, you know, most of my children that I work with use AAC, and then also, you know, the medical aspect like you talked about. So I would say about 30% of them are are eating only like a puree diet, so we're trying to work perhaps, you know, to move from puree to like soft chewables and things like that. So there's definitely a bit of a crossover, um, do some things that most school SLPs might not do. So there is an aspect of swallowing therapy to what you're doing with your job, even though it's it's within that school setting. Yes. Yeah, okay. we definitely do do feeding therapy at my school. And, you know, depending upon the student, you know, we may have a, a feeding goal in the IEP. Okay. So could you walk us through your typical day? Like when your day starts, how you kind of structure the flow of your day? Sure. So my school, the hours are from eight to three. I like to arrive as early as possible just because I hate just rushing into my day. So, you know, I like to at least get there by like 7.30. And, you know, we do anywhere between eight to nine therapy sessions a day. And you know, because I do work for New York City, you have a very big union and we have, there's not much leeway in the schedule. They pretty much tell you what you need to do. So it's eight to nine sessions a day. And then we have um, a prep period and we have a period also for administrative work as well. So specifically within the contract, are there, I guess, carve outs for what is unique for speech language pathologists when you talked about the strong union and how they kind of set parameters for what Um, you can and can't do? Is it specifically carved out? Is there language for speech language pathologists or do you all kind of fall under a more general educator contract in New York? We fall under the teacher's contract, which in our particular union is actually a better thing in terms of the pay compared to our physical therapists and our nurses and our OTs. They are on a different contract and their pay is actually a little different. So yeah, the language is not specific to a speech pathologist. And like, for example, we don't have a lot of control over, like, for example, almost, I would say 95% plus of my caseload uses AAC but we don't have any ability to add in time like for upkeep or programming or troubleshooting. There's no like indirect services allowed. It's all direct services. And then you have the prep time and the administrative time and that's it. So 
So that's really interesting to me. And that brings me to a question around workload. And I know there's kind of lots of things that fall under that heading of workload, but how do you personally manage workload and how has that changed or stayed the same over time? So for me, I feel like it definitely has changed. I know that we go through different seasons of life. And for me personally, I I have a six-year-old. So when I had him, it has been more of a struggle for me to, you know, manage work and life and balance all of that. So I have definitely streamlined sort of how I save time with work because I really do not want to be taking a lot home, if anything at all. So yeah, I've definitely come up with some specific systems that I use. I created like a data sheet where when I fill out the data form, it automatically generates my soap notes. So that has been life-changing because now I don't have to like formulate what I'm going to say exactly. You know, I can tweak it, but I'm pretty much cutting and pasting. And that's, you know, a big part of my day is putting in the daily notes. That sounds like an incredible time saver. So could you talk a bit more about some of the efficiencies that you've either created or discovered learning from others that have helped you manage that workload? I'm super intrigued about some of the things you've built into your day to make that a bit more automatic. Yeah. One of the biggest things I do is in the beginning of the year, I always, you know, I know every school is a little bit different. Some schools will say like, Hey, we want you to start actually picking up kids for therapy, like on the third day, or some schools might give you a week, whatever that may be. But I think it's really important to take advantage of that time and set yourself up for success. And for me personally, I kind of skim, you know, the IEPs and the paperwork and the, and the files. And I really just get those goals out and figure out, even if it's a tentative form, I figure out how I'm going to take data for that goal. And I get myself all set up so that once I'm ready, you know, I can, I can baseline my goals and then I'm ready to take the data so that every time, you know, I don't have to say, oh, what's his goal again? Or what's, you know, when you have a high caseload or something, sometimes, you know, we forget it in the moment or you have a large group, you just have everything in one spot and, you know, you're easily able to take the data And the other thing, my big thing with data forms is you need to be able to monitor progress quickly and easily. You know, I want to know how the student is doing at a glance. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to like thumb through that after work or at progress report time. I just want that to be something that's very quick. That's amazing, Amy. I think that is uh, one of those kind of golden nuggets that (laughs) if you're new to the school side of things or you've been doing this for a while, uh, I think that's really helpful. And I think it does become important to manage the workload because we know there's more tasks than there are minutes in our day allocated to do those things. Yes, 100%. So true. I always say the to-do list will never be be completed. Always a running list. So how do you manage the always running list? I think that's just prioritizing and keeping in mind those little systems, you know, that I talked about with like the, you know, the data forms. Another thing that I say, and some people always look at me like I'm crazy when I say this, but especially for children, when you're working with like very early language skills, a lot of stuff needs to be prepped. There's a lot of prep work, like adapted books or, you know, communication books or things that need, you know, laminating and cutting and Velcroing. And I always say, do it during the session. Like 
it's totally fine. You can, the kids love it. You're introducing the vocabulary. You can incorporate it. They want to help. You can incorporate core words. It's not as if you're doing anything wrong. You're still working on language. And I would write that right in my note. We created an adapted book that we're going to be using, you know, in therapy together. And these, this is the vocabulary that we worked on. And it's just kind of thinking outside the box in order to save yourself that time because our job is just so much to it. So many pieces. So many pieces. Yes. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about your job. What is one of your favorite parts of your job? Uh, I mean, you know, I love seeing the progress, of course. I do work very frequently with AAC users, as I've said. So, you know, it's always like super rewarding when I see a student begin to independently communicate. You know, I had a student actually over the pandemic, I had gotten him a, a, a communication device, LAMP, Words for Life, and he already had it at the time of the pandemic. But at the time, he was just sort of using, you know, kind of ex more exploring. Then we went remote. And I actually stayed remote for a whole year. So um, I started working with him. He just made so much, so much progress. He was putting sentences together. He started, I didn't even know he could do this. I hadn't even targeted it at all, but he loved uh, Dora the Explorer. And he went into his keypad and he typed in Dora because that wasn't wow. on the device. And I was like, I was like floored because I didn't even know that he could spell. But again, that's something, it was almost like a lesson for me and the teacher, because a lot of times we kind of make these assumptions that based on a student's language ability that, you know, maybe they can't do a certain thing. And here he is showing us like, wow, look what I know. And it was, that's you know, definitely really one of those goosebump moments as, as you're telling that story. And I appreciate when you say that that student is teaching you and teaching the teacher. It helps remind us about some assumptions we really can't make about that really dynamic system that is communication and language skills. Yep, 100%. Very, very cool. Of course, I'm going to ask you about challenges with your job as well. What, what would be a challenge? You know, I, uh, I mean... It's hard, you know, I, I work with students of varying abilities. So while seeing progress is, you know, awesome, sometimes when we don't see progress, I think it's challenging for all of us SLPs. And sometimes, you know, there's an easy fix. Maybe, you know, you kind of talk it out with somebody and you get another idea and, and you try something else. But other times, you know, you can feel really stuck. It's challenging, but it's also, uh, it's normal, the normal part of being an SLP. Absolutely. Yes. So one of the topics that has come up is dealing with interdisciplinary teams, collaboration. Could you talk a little bit about your experiences with collaboration in your particular setting? We collaborate a lot. One of the things we've tried to do on and off, depending upon the school year, is doing more push-in sessions in the classroom. I think the thing that has been most successful was when we picked the same lesson and kind of went in together. And in this particular case, myself and the two other SLPs that I work with, we all went into one, one classroom together and uh, we went in during the morning meeting. And so, you know, it was a very language-rich session or lesson. So we were able to, you know, sort of model for the teacher and provide some communication support because most of the kids are AAC users. So it was certainly a nice, you know, opportunity. And, you know, push-in lessons can be 
difficult. That's one thing I hear from a lot of SLPs. I do think uh, you can have variable experiences with push-in and with collaboration. I think sometimes it can take a bit of time to cultivate that buy-in with some colleagues. And then other times you can have teachers who are really excited about the opportunity for collaboration. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And, and I always tell, you know, new SLPs that I talk to, like, if you're going to pick someone, certainly try to pick someone who is, you know, very open to that. And I know sometimes too, there's, you know, you're, you're not allowed to pull kids out during certain times. So sometimes you end up pushing in just because you can't pull them out. So it certainly can, can be a challenge for sure. Do you have any demands on your time outside of your work day? When, and we kind of nibbled around the edges when we talked about workload do you have spillover? I guess is another way to think about mm. this question. Honestly, I really try not to these days. Every once in a while, if there's some sort of deadline that sort of crept up on me, yes. But I would say it's more because I didn't, you know, I kind of procrastinated and left it till the last minute. Like, let's say progress reports are due on Friday and all of a sudden on Thursday, I'm like, oh man, progress reports are due. You know, I, sometimes I might have to take some work home. But I think too, it's like at this point in my career, in terms of, you know, I like new activities and things. So I will sometimes lesson plan, but you know, I have things saved from years past, like in the beginning, my earlier years. Yes. You know, I was certainly always like looking for a new activity or printing something out, but now, you know, when you organize your materials, well, you can then just like bring that in. And sometimes if you have a day where you don't have time to plan, you can just pull an activity and you have something kind of ready to go. So let's talk a little bit more about materials. I think you have a TPT store. Is that correct? I do. I Can do. you talk with us about your Teachers Pay Teachers store? Some things that are on that. What inspired you to have a TPT store? Yeah, sure. Well, the name of it is Speech Language League, which is the same as like my Instagram. And that's, you know, my name elsewhere. I have always loved to create things. I've always been very creative. And what happened was I actually put a data form up in order to be a seller, you have to have your first item has to be free. So I think back in like 2013, I put one of my data forms, you know, as my free item. And then I just never went back on there and tried to I never posted a for sale item. And I started thinking about it like years later, like three, four years later. And I went on there and I didn't know anything about TPT, but I looked at the data you can click on like, you know, how many people downloaded your stuff and like something crazy, like over 5,000 people had downloaded it. And I'm Whoa. like, wow. <laughs> and I was like, that's so crazy. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, you know, if that was like a dollar, I could have made $5,000. You know, I just said, that's so interesting. So I started to get into that. And it's, I think it's kind of filled a void uh, for me because I, you know, as a high school student, I was like into the theater and drama and singing, sort of like the artistic side. And as an adult, you know, you kind of fall away from those things. You don't do those things anymore. So I think for me, it's like filled this artistic need and I really enjoy it. You know, in terms of what my store has, I started out, you know, creating pretty much for my the types of students that I work with. So I did a lot of 
basic concept, core word activities. And, you know, in the beginning, my big thing was I did a lot of boom cards with voice output. So I would record the word. So, you know, as the student touched each word, it would create a sentence or something. And that's really how I got started. And then since then I've expanded and I've done, you know, all sorts of different things that I've, that have come into my mind. I didn't, uh, worksheets for mixed groups that are very popular now. But yeah, I have a lot of early language skills activities. That's wonderful. Uh, Could you repeat for us again the name of your store and you have an Instagram as well? Yes, it's um, Speech Language League. Okay, great. So I have to ask, what is your big why? What keeps you coming back year after year, day after day? I mean, I just love being an SLP. I mean, I I think it's, uh, there's so many facets to it. It, I mean, it allows me to be creative. I love thinking outside the box and I love seeing that progress. It really boils down to my, my students, you know, I've all the different settings I've worked in, they've been, you know, all been different, but I've always, the students have just been the highlight of it. So if you're thinking about our listeners If you had one piece of advice for people looking at working in the schools or something that you would most want them to know, what would you tell them? This may sound a little funny, but I think my my biggest piece of advice would be, you know, when we're, because I supervise a lot of grad school SLPs and also do a lot of CFs and things. And I know that in the grad schools, you know, we learn a lot about coaching and uh, modeling and training. And I think that reality is when you get into the schools and you're this new SLP, you know, 24 years old or whatever, and you go to go into a classroom with a teacher that's been teaching for 20 years or a paraprofessional that's been working there for however many years. And truthfully, people, they really don't want to listen to you unless, (laughs) kind of like they say in business, unless they like, know, and trust you. And so I always tell people, listen, it doesn't mean you can't do your job. Go in there, do your job, model all the skills that you've learned, do everything, you know, whatever's in your heart, whatever your clinical judgment is, do it. But take a little step back from telling other people what to do until you develop those relationships. And once you do, they're going to listen to you. Because they like you, they know you, they trust you, they believe in you as an SLP. I think that's amazing advice. And I think I think that's helpful no matter where you're at in your career. It, it is definitely worth the time and the investment to build that rapport and that relationship. And that is something that can pay dividends for years to come. So taking that time early on isn't time wasted. Right. I I think you're absolutely right, Amy. Just like they say with, with our students, like you can't really get them to meet their goals until you've developed a relationship with them and you understand what they like and what their interests are. And it's the same thing with the people that you work for. Yes. And work with. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Amy, when I'm thinking about our conversation, is there something that you wished we'd talked about that I just maybe forgot or something that like we meant to talk about and you were thinking to yourself before this conversation began? I hope we get to. Yeah. One other thing. I mean, just in terms of the time saving 
you know, strategies that I use, I feel like one of the most important skills for probably any SLP, but definitely for a school SLP is just being able to target pretty much all of your goals with one activity and being able to think outside the box with that activity, because just because it's one activity doesn't mean you can't use it different ways. So, you know, you might have a set of 20 flashcards and, you know, maybe some kids will be happy to sit down and describe or label with that kind of activity and other kids are not going to. So maybe for those kids, maybe you can throw them on the floor and have them jump on them or tape them to the wall and do a scavenger hunt. And just really thinking of different ways that you can use the same activity because it will cut back on your planning for sure. Oh, I think that's great advice. And I I do think that once you get in the mindset of having that adaptability and flexibility with your existing materials, almost everything becomes fodder for language intervention and communication skill intervention. Uh, And that is when it becomes really special too. You're not creating this single task with an isolated focus anymore. Right. You start seeing those opportunities everywhere. Yes. Oh, fabulous advice. Amy, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Thank you so much for having me. I loved spending a day in the life of your life as a school-based SLP. Thanks so much. So did you get goosebumps like I did? I loved that conversation. Almost makes me want to be a school-based SLP. I am learning so, so much from these episodes. If you are as well, please find us at Fresh SLP, Apple Podcasts, everywhere we are. Please drop us a link. Tell us how you're doing. Share, follow, all of those things that we would appreciate you doing to show that you're out there and that you're listening to us and you got this because we so are doing this for us, but we're also doing it for you. I have a favorite part of this podcast. I would love to hear what your favorite part of the podcast is. So hope to hear from you soon. Like, follow, do everything, share at freshslp.com. And this is the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. Thanks for listening.